In today's video, I'm going to provide you with seven guidelines to healing and a 10-step process to break your trauma bond with a narcissist or a toxic abuser and give the pain back to them. Now, no need to take notes. This has already been prepared for you for free. It is on my website, kennyweiss.net, under the resources tab. Scroll down, you're going to see a, download, a free download. It says Codependence Recovery, Giving the Pain Back. So again, just sit back, enjoy. It's all been prepared for you. Just go download that. Then you can work through the seven guidelines and the 10-step process on your own, okay? So let's get started with the seven guidelines. In the Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. First guideline is probably the most difficult. The first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge that we have unhealed childhood trauma. The only way we end up in a relationship with a narcissist or a toxic abusive person is because of our own perfectly imperfect dysfunction and toxicity, whether that be codependence. But these are um, attachment wounds that we learned in childhood. Every person we are ever attracted to is a direct reflection of our childhood and the primary relationships we developed with our parents, our siblings, our friends, everybody. You will not pick an abuser unless you experienced abusive or traumatic childhood. Now, here's the problem. Most people say, oh, I didn't, I didn't experience trauma. Well, there's a grave misunderstanding of what trauma is. They think unless you're just treated horrifically like a dog, you know, it, it's not trauma. Like, it's fascinating, people on their comments. I didn't go through trauma. And then they go, well, my parents got divorced, and then my dad wasn't there. Like, they just are completely detached from reality. If they've just listed horrific trauma. If you were divorced, your parents were divorced, you experienced trauma. If you ever got yelled at, every parent yells. That's how trauma works. It's any negative emotional event. No child goes through childhood without a negative emotional event from their parents. Not because their parents are bad people. This isn't to blame parents. This is about truth and responsibility. Parents are perfectly imperfect. They're human. They're limited. They're going to make mistakes. And those mistakes are hurtful. And they leave wounds. In addition, I say it all the time, nearly Virtually no parent has ever taken a class on how to be a parent effectively and build true attachment and attunement, not codependence. Therefore, all parenting is codependent. It's always have a level, it always has a level of shame when it comes to discipline. All of these are traumatic. So that's the first guideline, is to get into truth and reality and take responsibility that your childhood and your unhealed pain has created the attraction and that's the part we play in these people getting into our life. That's number one. Number two, don't make your focus 
on whether they intended to hurt you or not hurt you. I see so often people in toxic relationships, they swim in trying to figure out what's inside the abuser's head. Did they mean this? Did they mean that? What they don't recognize is that's a defense mechanism. That allows them to put off dealing with the pain from their childhood, to put off with the dealing with the pain in the moment, to put off looking at their part in the relationship. And it diverts us and keeps us ruminating on the problem instead of living in the solution. So stop yourself from trying to figure them out. Instead, start focusing on yourself. Number three, hold them accountable but without blame. This is very common when someone's been with a narcissist or abuser. They inadvertently elevate themselves and say that they're better than them, in part because they deny their childhood trauma and the part they played that, wait a minute, I picked this person. So right there, I have a responsibility. The fact that I accepted pursuing a relationship with this person, I immediately bear responsibility for part of this happening. I have to accept that. And so we are not letting that see people don't want to admit that because they feel like that lets the narcissist or the abuser off the hook. It's not. It's just taking personal accountability. It's living in truth and personal responsibility. The other way, um, using blame, leaves us in resentment. And that keeps us out of touch with reality and forgets that every person on this planet is human and limited, makes mistakes, and even deeper. When a person can't simply hold them accountable without blame, it keeps them stuck in this, the resentment, which they don't realize. Like when they're really, the, the people that really get angry at me say, you're victim blaming and you really are giving the narcissist or the abuser a pass, like they're stuck in blame. What they don't recognize is all of that resentment and blame is a lack of self-forgiveness. Now that may not make sense to you. If you're early in the journey, you're like, what? This isn't even about me. I, what do I need to forgive myself for? Well, that's, again, how out of touch with reality a person is in the healing journey. They can't see their part in it yet. I don't mean to say that to demean you or hurt you because I know you're hurt enough. But trust me, if you go on the healing journey, you'll see, oh my God, he was right. My resentment is actually a self-resentment, a self-rejection, and it's a lack of forgiveness for myself. All right? Number four, avoid comparing your abuse to other people's abuse. This goes back to the childhood trauma stuff. This is what gets people in trouble. Everyone classifies trauma and goes, well, I didn't go through that. So, and only that is trauma. Again, abuse and trauma is any negative event. And so the reason people try to grade trauma like that, uh, it allows them to minimize it. It allows them to condone it. It allows them to carry the responsibility um, and, and this is what's happening in childhood because they're minimizing their parents' perfect imperfections and all the trauma they experienced, you know, like the divorce, like mom or dad not being there all the time, like showing up late, like all these simple things. They do that so that they can not have to face the trauma they experienced in childhood. And what this allows them to do is not have to take responsibility 
for that trauma playing a part in their decision to get in a relationship with this person. And so recognize this, that the comparing your abuse to others is robbing you of your safety. Okay? So you want to make sure you stay away from doing that. <clears throat> Number five, when talking about your narcissist or your abuser, use the phrase dysfunctional when thinking about them. Too often, we think of them as good or bad, right or wrong. When we get into judgment like that, when we start classifying them as bad and wrong and all of that, even, and this is, I want to make this clear. Yes, they made bad choices. Yes, they were wrong. That's truth. But if we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say everything about them is that way, people don't recognize, and, and there are people where it's just pure evil. I get that. But what people don't realize is when we take that judgment position to elevate ourselves, we're doing that so we can create false power and, again, avoid our own unhealed pain, our own part in it. And so they don't recognize that this is leaving them in a state of purgatory to suffer the rest of their life. And they'll most likely pick this type of relationship again. It's a covert defense mechanism they use so they don't have to face their own unhealed pain. And so they project it all onto the other one and they you know, use all these denigrating names to describe the narcissist and abuser. So that's why I recommend dysfunction. Because while what they did was horrific, and I'm not condoning it, when we go down that judgment road, it gives us, you know, you'll see empaths do this. I'm a super empath. I'm a, I saw some new term that was like a sonic empath. I was like, wow, like it's this angelic position of I'm so much better than them. They don't recognize how narcissistic that position is, that I'm so much better. I'm not bad like them. And they don't realize that that's, that that's why they ended up with this person is because that's a narcissistic viewpoint from the victim position, Okay. And that's hurting them. And so, again, we're trying to move into maturity and moderation and reality. Everyone's perfectly imperfect. Everyone makes mistakes. Some people are more hurtful than others. But all of us are human and all of us have suffered trauma. And you're going to see why this is important when I get into the process. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, number six, focus on those who hurt you, not how you hurt others. All right, so in these first guidelines, I've been basically trying to hold you accountable for the part you've played. That's all wonderful. But here's what happens is you get into reality and truth about the part you play. What usually happens is all that shame, all that sadness, 
all that hurt from childhood comes up because you start seeing, oh my God, I did use my empathetic nature in a narcissistic way. I did use my victim position. I used all of these things with friends, family members. And, and so all of a sudden you have a complete shame attack and you start destroying yourself and belittling yourself. Okay. So we want to hold ourselves accountable, but we don't want to hold ourselves accountable to the degree that we destroy ourselves. And so as you start to get it, get into reality, get into truth, and you start to see that you were, you were just perfectly imperfect. You did your best. You tried to love somebody. You weren't aware of manipulative techniques or covert dynamics. And as you become aware of them, don't shame yourself because you're going to see, oh my God, I did hurt my kids. I did hurt my partner. I did hurt my friend. And so again, that's why in this recovery process from a narcissist or an abuser, the guideline is don't deal with those input. We're not dealing with those here. This is for you to deal with the hurt that you experienced, both from the narcissist and in your childhood. You can, that's a, you know, that process can be dealt with later. Right now, your own, when those feelings come up, when you see truth and go, oh my God, I've been hurtful too, stop that. It's like, no, 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 we'll deal with that later. Right now, we're just dealing with how I ended up being abused and mistreated by a narcissist or, or a toxic abuser and the less than perfect parenting I experienced as a child, all right? Finally, uh, number seven, you must learn about the worst day cycle. As I said, all of this is because of childhood. These are learned patterns. These are relationship dynamics that you were placed in as a child. Now you have two options to learn about the worst day cycle. You can head to my YouTube channel, my worst day cycle playlist. I've done a five part series on it. It's a short synopsis of what I, it's, well, each video is almost an hour long. So it's very in depth and deep and gives you a deep explanation. But the full process is in my book. I just, some people get all ticked off when I mention resources and it's like, oh, you know, you have to pay for this one, you know? And so I, if you look at all my stuff, I'm always offering free and paid. You just decide what works best for you. I know this, the people who want everything for free, they don't want to heal. <laughs> because do you see what they're saying? I'm not worth the investment. I'm not worth the investment in the whole process. Just give it to me free. So that was me too. I, I know, please don't hear me as judging this person. That's part of the journey. They have to be there. That's the start. Because they're not really ready to commit to healing. And so when they point the finger at me, I, I recognize, okay, I was that guy too. I was there. I didn't want to pay for it because I didn't want to pay for me. And so at any rate, that's why I offer so many solutions. I have created so much free content because I'm trying to help this person at least get in the door. Eventually, they'll go over here. If, they're, if they want to heal, they'll go over here. So one is free. The other one is pick up my book, Your Journey to Success. So anyway, I just rambled on. I don't know why I went into that. It doesn't really matter. But let's move on to the 10-step process. Now, you can, I would suggest you use this process in two ways. For many of you, you're going to be too hurt and raw to deal with your childhood trauma. You're, you're probably still too filled with anger and resentment. You've probably already thrown Coke cans at me because you might be caught in that angelic position and think, you know, they're, you know, you haven't played any part in this and none of it's your fault. And it's not childhood and all of that. 
And that's okay. Again, that's part of the journey. So if you're in that position, then use this 10-step process all about them. Don't deal with childhood yet. But eventually, to truly heal from all of this, you're going to have to use this 10-step process for your childhood. Okay? So step number one, um, what am I feeling? Now, again, head over to my resources page, and there's a free download for my feelings wheel. Go ahead and grab that and track your feelings three to five times a day and check in. Start learning because this is an emotional recovery process, not a thinking process. And so start recognizing what you're feeling. Next question you ask yourself is, where in my body do I feel it? Knees, shoulders, stomach. You know, usually for most people, it's in this kind of torso to head area. All right. Now, each feeling may have a different location. That's pretty normal. All right. Now, if you don't have any feelings, that's scary. Set an appointment with a professional like myself or somebody else immediately. That's a severe detachment. That tells me there is massive trauma in your life if you can't feel. All right. The next step three in the 10-step process is what is my first memory of having this feeling? Now, I want to make it clear, most people have no memories of their childhood or very few because um, there's, that, that's almost, almost always a sign of childhood trauma, all right? It's very common most, because we've all been through trauma in childhood. You just can't escape it. So that's why so many of us don't remember much of childhood. You don't have to remember the specific event. That's what's so great about this process. What you will remember is a certain age range. It'll be instinctual in your gut. You'll be like, oh, it's like five to seven. That's all you need. In your recovery journey, if you're meant to remember something, a memory will pop up. You don't need to force it. It'll happen on its own. Okay? So you ask yourself, what's my first memory? Don't, uh, I was going to say shrink it. Um, what most people early in the process will do, they'll go, well, that wasn't a big deal. Don't minimize it. Whatever the first thought is that pops up, write it down. For most people, it's something in the last one to five years. Then ask yourself, okay, what's my next feeling before that? And before that, and eventually you're going to arrive at childhood. This is the worst day cycle. This is the trauma that you learned. So when you're experiencing your narcissist and your abuser, and they say or do something, and you use this process, what am I feeling? Where in my body do I feel it? What's my first memory of it? You just found your childhood trauma that created the attraction to the narcissist. Bingo. Like it's that simple to prove that your childhood was less than perfect. And that right there will bring you into reality of, oh my God, I, yeah, I felt this same confusion, anger, sadness, neglect, invisible, whatever it is you're experiencing with the narcissist and the abuser. Okay. So there are the first three steps. Now, step four, when those moments happened, you created mantras, like for me. I would always say, oh, what's the point? See, in my house, I couldn't stand up for myself. And so my dad would do something, and I'd get all upset, and I'd want to defend myself, and I just learned, what's the point? Well, that's how I ended up with a narcissistic sociopath borderline who was physically and verbally abusive. I also had another bro older brother who was huge. He could hold me by my head and just pummel me, totally control me. Do you see the tie-in? I could never defend myself in my household. 
And so I picked the woman. What is the one rule a man has with a woman? Can't touch him. Right? So I picked the woman to relive the exact same trauma from my childhood. No voice and abuse. Physical abuse. Physical, emotional, intellectual abuse. Just what I went through in childhood. I couldn't, I, I, it doesn't make me bad. I had no other shot. We, no one taught me this, that this is how it works. And that I created a mantra. It was a, what's the point? Why defend myself? And so we find ourselves stuck in a trauma bond, repeating over and over, going back over and over. I was with her for 10 years. I couldn't leave. I didn't know how. I was just stuck in the worst day cycle, in a trauma bond, repeating the pain from the past day after day after day after day. Do you know that feeling? Well, now you know why. This is what creates that trauma bond. And that's why this work is so critical. And that's why those guidelines, I know they're uncomfortable. Having to look at our part in it is very uncomfortable. But the single greatest planet or killer on the planet today is self-deception and denial. The inability to own and take responsibility for the part we play. We all want to make it somebody else. We don't want to live in truth or take responsibility. Well, I couldn't get free of my blame of her and my judgment of her. And I got a comment on YouTube this morning. Someone, you know, made a comment about how I talk about my ex-wives. And she's like, I can tell you really like them. I do. Like, it's terrible stuff. But... When you deal with the self-deception and denial and turn it on yourself, you're free. The resentment and blame's gone because you see your part. I forgive myself. Look at what I went through in childhood. I had no shot. So why do I blame her? I don't need to blame her. Why did she act that way? Because of her own childhood trauma. You just had two trauma-bonded people. Both hurting. No clue about the worst day cycle or any of this. We were meant for each other. And here's the other thing that you realize. This will be, might be, if you're early in the process, this won't make sense. But trust me, if you stick with this, you'll get there. But uh, um, she loved me perfectly. That's how I feel. Here's, here's the truth. When we pick these abusive people, we're picking people based on how much we love ourselves and what sort of love we're capable of receiving. And so once I came to that realization of because of my trauma and I hadn't healed it, didn't know about it, any of that stuff, the most love I could receive was what she gave me. I couldn't receive any other treatment than that. My worst day cycle, having been unhealed, would not allow me to pick somebody who wouldn't have treated me with all of those ways. And so that's why I adore her. Look how broken I am. To not, because when we're with abusers and we don't stand up and leave, we're also enabling it. We're giving them an unspoken message that it's okay. And I know that's hard to hear. Again, if you stick with this process, you'll get out of self-deception and denial and get into this truth that, yes, that's what we're doing. And this is not victim-blaming. This is truth and responsibility, which is how you get out of these and stop attracting them. And so, this woman loved me perfectly for where I was. How fortunate am I that I was so dysfunctional and perfectly imperfect that she still chose 
to be with me. That's pretty special. Now, I'm no longer in that place. She still tries to treat me that way. But now I like myself a lot more, so I'm not affected by her you know, choices and things she does. But I sure do appreciate that she's still trying to love me. That's per Think of that, 20 years later. I'm, I'm a very lucky man that she's still trying to love me. I'm just, I now have learned to accept a different kind of love. So, that's what happens with these mantras. We use them to minimize, condone, justify, suppress, and deny our childhood trauma and the trauma the abuser is using for us. I can't leave. I don't have the money. I don't have a job. We put, you know, we have all these mantras where we usually place the responsibility on them. We take a, the mantra is a victim-oriented mantra like mine. What's the point? Right? Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What's the point of standing up for myself? That's such a victim position. But as a child, it was true. My dad was huge. My brother was huge. It was the only choice I had. But because I got stuck in that mantra and many others, that's why we pick these people. So that is step four. Learn what your mantras are. Again, you, you, there's a whole um, journaling section to help you do this in the, the book that I've provided for you. Now, step five. Now that we've gained a level of truth and responsibility, we need to grieve. Oh, I guess I still have some grief left. I just feel like crying. Um, yeah. There's still tremendous sadness for what I experienced in childhood. And it's okay to cry about it. That's how we let it go, as we let it come up. It's not a bad thing. It's freedom. Grief is necessary. Tears are a gift. I know when I first started working this process, I thought I'd never stop crying. And here's what happens, though. You experience what Pew Melody calls joy pain like look i'm crying you know i'm sitting here kind of crying and i'm smiling like you can see how joyful it is and that's what this everyone's afraid of crying and afraid of dealing with all this and and what they realize is once you know especially the you know like i said earlier the people who aren't ready to invest in themselves they're scared to death of this they they project that dealing with all of this will create all this pain once you start dealing with it you realize oh my god that's where all the pain is Wow, the avoidance of it and all the things you make up to avoid doing the work. Once you do the work, you're like, oh, this is just a little uncomfortable. Like, I just cried in front of you. Like, big deal. Like, you haven't seen a man cry or yourself cry. Like, there's no shame in that. That's not pain. 
but that's what this person who's not ready to do the work, who's early in the process, they're scared to death of that, think it'll be awful. Well, that's okay. It's part of the journey, but that's why we need to grieve it so we can be okay with it. So step five, set time out to cry, to sit in the pain of what you experienced, both from the abuser and from your childhood. Let it out. You don't have to carry it anymore. It's okay. You can let it go. All right? Step number six will be difficult for the person over here versus the one that's further along in the process. Express, express empathy for ourselves and our caregivers and the abuser. This can be difficult, but remember, abusers, in almost all cases, unless they're a psychopath, Psychopaths are born, but narcissists are created. All of these other conditions are created in childhood. So this person went through horrific trauma. And I know people, I get all people, well, no, they didn't. They were spoiled. They were the golden child. And I just crack up. I'm like, that is such severe trauma. That's what creates a narcissist. Because they have no ability to navigate any difficult situation. That's why they're so explosive and controlling. Because they can't have any discomfort. Because everything was done for them. Spoiling a child, the golden child, is it, it might be the most horrific abuse, even more so than physical abuse, sexual abuse. Do you see why? What's different about it? Think of it. Somebody who's physically or sexually abused. At least it's direct. Like you know when that door opens or they come in or they drink. You know what's coming. But to be spoiled and told you're perfect and wonderful and have all your messes cleaned up for you. Do you see how manipulative that is? Do you see that the parents don't give a damn about the child? It's all about them. They want to be the golden parent. And do you see how covert and manipulative that is? And so the narcissist who is spoiled, like the deception, it's diabolical the way they were raised. Now, I know I just classified as this is worse. You know, I don't, didn't mean to do that. Again, I'm imperfect. But <clears throat> my point is, is that's really twisted, the golden child, because it's so covert and manipulative. Don't forget that, all right? And that's what this abuser went through. They learned to be abusive. Like, I always find it fascinating, you know, the, the people who molest children, and people just can't stand them. And I'm like, do you realize that's learned behavior? That tells you about their childhood. I know you have empathy for all those kids they hurt, and you should. But what about them? Because they just acted out what was done to them. And that's what we're looking for here. Your parents' imperfections are only there because they were hurt these ways. Your abuser's imperfections are only there because they were hurt these ways. And so if you can't have empathy for them, do you see a deeper problem with that? How could you ever have empathy for yourself and your imperfections and, how, and the parts you played in this dynamic? Like the basic one, you said yes to the relationship. You need to have empathy for yourself. And the best way to get that is to have empathy for them. If you can't have it for them, you can't have it for yourself. So I'm going to read you this quote. 
Um, this is what is in the, the book that I provided for you to give you an example of how to express this empathy for yourself and your caregiver and your abuser. And I wrote it this way. Um, I did the best I could with what I knew at the time. I am not to blame. I am so sad that I had to experience this and so proud that I was able to come up with a way to survive it. I'm also sad for my abuser and my caregiver who gave this pain to me. They were just doing what was taught to them and didn't know any better. My heart hurts for their pain, but I honor my pain first. That's, you know, that's in the journey book and that will help you navigate empathy for yourself and for them. Do you hear how that's maturity and moderation? There's no one up. I'm the super angelic person. I'm also not the shame-based person. We are both perfectly imperfect, deserving of love and care, and I will honor my pain above all. Okay? Step seven in this 10-step process is to hold them accountable. All right, now, how do we do that? Since we've gone through all of this and we've recognized where we're storing all of that pain in our body, we reach in metaphorically and grab that pain. Grab hold of it. I will not hold this pain for you any longer. Now, when you, know, you get to this side and you realize, yes, my narcissist and my abuser was awful, but I picked them and experienced the exact same pain with them here in childhood, so this pain that is in, in you from both of those situations, ultimately, it needs to be given back to your parents. For those in the beginning part, give it back to your abuser. Start there. But those who are further along, now it's your parents. Because you'll recognize empathy for them. I mean, you're going to hold them accountable and not let them off the hook. But you're going to see the part you played and realize, wait a minute. This, this, me picking this is really more about childhood and what I went through with my parents. And so this is where we grab hold of that pain. Was it in your head? Was it in your stomach? For me, I get shame burps, memories of stuff where I'm imperfect and stuff my dad. And, you know, I just, <laughs> this happens to me all the time. I go for walks and it'll just happen. And I just talk out loud. Like I'm so used to doing it. And people are walking by. <laughs> I've had situations where, you know, and I just reach in. I'm like, I, you know, I, I grab my heart and I grab it. I'm like, I love you, Dad, but this is mine. I'm done. This is your pain. And people are looking at me. I'm like, oh, yeah, just do a little trauma work. You know, I just roll with it, you know. Um, but maybe you don't want to start there. But that's what you do. Wherever that pain is, grab hold of it. Tight. Pull it out and make a declaration. This is not my pain. I will not carry it. I'm done carrying it for you. This is yours. You can have it back. All right? <clears throat> I wrote in the book as well. I give you another kind of guideline to follow. Here it is. I now reach in and I take this pain from me. It is no longer mine. I give it back to you. I've carried this for you long enough. I won't carry this for you anymore. I give it to you. This is yours to carry from this day forward. Like even just saying that, my shoulders just tingle. Like it's just light, this lightness just envelops you. 
of those feelings, that anger, resentment, all that icky stuff from both our narcissist and abuser. And once you get into reality, your parents, it just goes away. It's not ours. Let it go. But you have to give it back to them. All right? That gets us now we're ready for anger work. Now, I want to say something about this. I, I believe in Alice Miller's method. There are things in childhood that might be unforgivable. And here's how you know that, if it's unforgivable for you. Because demanding that we forgive our parents, even no matter what the Bible says, for those that are spiritual, um, you may not be able to do that. And that's okay. Now I'm talking about your caregivers. If you're not ready to forgive them, honor that. And here's why. Do you see if I demand that they forgive them and they're not ready to? It's a re-infliction. It's they're the helpless child who just has to take it. This is what mom and dad decide. So I wholeheartedly believe in Alice's Miller's position on that of you can't force somebody, that child inside of you, that little boy or girl who was hurt and demand that they forgive because demanding it when they're not ready is a re-infliction. It's further abuse. That's, my, that's at least my view on it. You may have your own. but <clears throat> So if you can't do that, you may not be able to do this step, step eight, which is anger work. If you are ready, it's two things. One, write a rage letter. And the rage letter needs to be less about what, you know, the the facts of the matter, and more about the feelings. Tons of swear words, and in this one, tons of judgment. You son of a, you're such a blankety blank, and you're so, you know, lots of you are so. And lots of swear words, like, swear words are there. I mean, what people don't realize is, the only reason we speak as a species is to try and communicate our feelings. Every word is just an attempt to express our heart. And that's why so many people swear. Because there's just something about a good swear word that just resonates in your soul. Whereas, you're a jerk. You know, that's like, nah. That's not how I'm feeling. You're a lot bigger than that. Well, you're a blankety blank blank blank. Ah, oh, yeah, that really... That hits what I'm feeling about you. So make sure you use a lot of that. Step two in step eight of the 10-step process of, uh, of anger work is um, express it physically, whether that's a punching bag, kickboxing. I used a golf club. I took a golf club to my bed, and I'd take that rage letter, and I'd, and I'd read it, and I'd scream it. Just scream it. And I'd just pummel my bed with a golf club. You blankety blank blank. Especially for those of you early and, and still have a lot of anger and resentment at your abuser or your narcissist, this can be really powerful. Please use it. Another option, all across the country, rage houses are popping up. Go break some dishes, man. Take a sledgehammer to some stuff. Like, let it out. Because we... Our childhood has taught us the mantras where we had to suppress who we are and take it. 
Well, this is why this is important. It's our ability to finally stand up and go, no, no, no more. You can't treat me that way. And I'm sorry if I just scared you. That might have been trauma-inducing. <laughs> it's so forceful. But because it came from, when, you know, it was literally reminding myself of, you know, I used to yell like that in the house as I did this work. No. No. Because I never could say no. My brother was so huge that if I retaliated at all, I could only do it if I could place myself in between him and a bathroom. And so I'd throw something, like I threw knives at him. I, like, I was so enraged and so helpless. And I threw it, I remember I threw a huge lawn chair at him and I just ran. And I'd always get in the bathroom and lock. And I'd have to, I would be locked in the bathroom eight, 10 hours. My parents wouldn't defend me. And so the rage work is me basically busting that door down and going, no. You know, it's like now I'm big enough. I'm still not. He's still huge. But metaphorically, we never got to do that. So this pushes back against the mantras and everything we went through. All right? Step nine, self-forgiveness for the part we played. Those here may not be ready to admit that they played a part. And... Um, but for those a little further along, they're ready to look at, how did we give ourselves away? How did we adapt as a child, dysfunctionally? Like, I became a people pleaser. I became the emotional support for everybody. That's what I did. That's the adaptation I chose. Now, there's no blame because I'm a child. I don't have the brain development. I don't have the cognitive development, the emotional development. I figured out an incredible strategy that allowed me to survive. An alcoholic mother, a rage-filled father, abusive, like a lot of stuff. So these are great things, these adaptations, these manipulations, um, the way we gave ourselves away, the way we, you know, played a role in the dynamic as a child and even with our abuser and our narcissist. These are great coping skills to keep us alive. The problem is, because we don't have emotional mastery, because we're not a, we've never healed the trauma or been through this process, all of it's self-destructive. None of it works, and the proof of it is you're with a narcissist and an abuser. Now, you're not to blame for that. You did the best you could with where you were at the time. But we need to look at out the, the part we played and the dysfunctional characteristics that we developed and the manipulations that we developed and all the covert strategies we used to survive. But ultimately, they are hurtful to us and they are hurtful to them. They condone abusive behavior. We don't leave immediately. We don't stand up for ourselves. We play the victim, we stay powerless. We do all of these different things, and we have to take ownership of that. And so we need to gain self-forgiveness for the part we play. For me, like I've told the story, you know, my mom yelled at me when I wanted to eat cottage cheese. So I didn't eat for 30 years. Hardly ate. I played sports. I became codependent. I never got angry. I, these were all adaptations to survive. 
It's the best I could do. It doesn't make me a bad person. I'm just trying to get by. But all of those create results that I'm responsible for. So I need to forgive myself. And how do you do that? Well, <coughs> this is in the book and this is what I wrote and maybe this will help you. <clears throat> if not, find a way to write this in a way that resonates with you. This is what I wrote. I love myself and I forgive myself for being imperfect, for doing the best I could with who I was and what I knew at the time. Now that I know better, I will do better. I love myself for facing this pain and taking this journey to heal and love myself. In my life experience, it may not be yours, but in my life experience, the greatest feeling in the world is taking ownership of my perfect imperfections and the part I've played in every dysfunctional thing in my life and forgiving myself and loving myself. Hey, it's just the best I could do at the time. It doesn't make me bad. It's, this isn't. And here's early in recovery, we're always looking to blame somebody. The deeper you get in recovery, you don't look to blame them or yourself. It's all forgiveness. It doesn't mean you hang out with them and be buddies, but you're done with blame. You know you're early in recovery if you're still trying to blame yourself or somebody else. Okay? Step 10. Now it's time to reorient all of those traumatic feelings that were stuck in us that we've been replaying through the worst day cycle. As we process through all of these emotional events, we need to replace them with new emotions. Right? We're creating an emotional mastery here. And so step 10 is what I call feelization. Now, what is that? Well, what that is, is as often as possible to sit in the person you want to become. So look at the situations when you were perfectly imperfect and you didn't like the way you handled yourself. Envision yourself handling it with this new understanding. And you'd say no to that person. You wouldn't tolerate this behavior. You'd do things completely different. And focus on your body. Where in your body do you feel that sense of conviction that I, I am this person? And so many people will do a vision board on this. That's what I did. I created, there were parts of my life I knew I couldn't live that way. So I found pictures that represented it. And I'd sit and go, God, what's it going to feel? And listen to the way I say it. What will it feel like when I'm there? That's where I started. And then it became, I am there. I am that man. I feel that way about myself. I am safe. I am perfectly imperfect. I did play a role in all of this. It's okay. I don't blame me. I don't blame them. We are both human. We are both limited. We both did the best we could. I love myself. Sit in that as much as possible in every area. What will it feel like when you're with a person who isn't abusive, who doesn't say nasty things, or when they recognize that they're human? Because I say nasty things, but once I catch it, I go, oh, God, that was nasty. I mean, look at my videos. I miss a lot of them, 
But many times I go, oh, gosh, look how condescending that was. Is that the type of person you want to be with? Then picture that. How wonderful it'll be that your partner has a bad moment. They go, oh, darn it. Forgive me. That wasn't my best. Let me try and say that differently. Here's what I wanted to say. Sit in the feeling of what you wanted as a child. You wanted with this person, but maybe with somebody else. Use this new feeling and image to create the person you're destined to be. Not that you got stuck being because of your unhealed childhood trauma. All right? <clears throat> so there you go. There are your seven guidelines in your 10-step process. All of the links for all of the things I've mentioned are always in the description of my video. Please head over and take advantage of them. And, you know, I want to make sure, I'm not sure if I said it as well as I would have liked to, for those early in the process looking for free things, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly okay. That's a part of the journey. For those that are further, and, the, and neither side is better than the other. It's just a different part of the journey. Do you see how easily this could be misconstrued as they're better? They're investing in themselves. No, they're not. They're just at step three. They're at step one. That's all. Like, why is anyone better? We're all perfectly imperfect. We're all doing the best we can with where we are at the time. If we could do better, we would do better. But as we know more, we do more. And that's your goal. Regardless of where you are on this spectrum, whether it's free, whether it's paid, whether it's do nothing but just sit and watch, I don't care. Honor and love yourself for where you are. You're perfect right where you are. If you decide you need to be further along, then I support you. If you feel you're, you don't need to be and you're going to stay right here, I support you. It is your life. You choose your recovery. And it doesn't make you better than or less than. We are all perfectly imperfect and human. That's what we're always working towards, maturity and moderation. So, you'll find all the links in the description. And as always, enjoy the journey.